0: So good morning, everyone. I'm happy to be here with you all. And it's our last, it's hard to believe it's already our last one. Um, yeah, and that Christmas is what, two weeks ago? Not even? Mm-hmm. Yeah, comes faster every year, I think. as <laughs> you get older. Um, so yeah, I just was reflecting on Christmas and thinking um, it's a time of joy, but I do find in my own life, and maybe you can relate, distractions can take over. Sometimes there's to-do lists, there's presents, and just life can generally be busy. Um, and it can be hard to find the the peace that we're really looking for or maybe for some of you christmas might be a painful time there might be uh, there might be a loss in your life there might be some grief loneliness so i'm just praying and hoping that this morning um, the word of god reorients each one of us toward the light of christ and that everything else would grow dim in comparison so i'll just pray actually before we get started Dear Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for this time we have together to reflect on Christmas. I pray that no matter where each of one of us are on our journey of faith, that you would meet us there. Reveal truth from your word to us this morning. May my words be what you would have me share, and please use this time to bless and encourage the women here. In your name I pray, amen. So this morning we're going to look at the Christmas story in Luke. Since we've gone through Luke, it felt fitting. It's actually the same passage that Utah preached on. So a lot of repetition, (coughs) but I know that God will use. There's many applications to God's word, so He'll use today for what what He wants, and um, what I share won't be as eloquent as Utah. But you know, (laughs) we'll see. (laughs) So the passage will be familiar. We're going to read from Luke. If you have your Bible, you can open it, or just feel free to listen. Um, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38, and then a bit later I'll (coughs) read one more little section. So verse 26, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So one of the major themes that we've seen in the Gospel of Luke is God reversing things. Some call this the upside-down kingdom. God's kingdom doesn't look like the world's. He chooses to use seemingly unimportant people in his redemptive story. The Christmas story shows us the heart of Christ. In the Christmas story, God chooses to use Mary, an unknown teenager from a small, insignificant town. He uses Elizabeth, an older, barren woman. The angels appear to shepherds, one of the lowest-ranked groups of society, and the list goes on. These events surrounding Jesus' birth set the stage for the way Jesus would live his life. Chapter chapter, Chapter after chapter in Luke, Jesus calls to himself those whom society has rejected. The sick and paralyzed, tax collectors, adulterers, and the demon-possessed. He seeks out the lost, those who know how broken they are, and those who know they need him. From the very beginning of life, of Jesus' life, we see humility. So I looked up a definition of humility. We all have a general sense of it, but I sometimes like looking up what it actually, the dictionary definition (coughs) is, and it says a modest or low view of one's own importance. A modest or low view of one's own importance. And I was just thinking, in no other religion would a deity, would God, humble himself. In some Eastern religions, God is considered high and holy, and he's worshipped from afar. He's appeased through people's sacrifices, and by them achieving high moral standards, and by being good people, they're accepted by God. And their works make them right before God. And in our modern Western culture, there's some who believe, the majority culture would believe that God isn't holy, God is love. He just wants us to be happy, and we can be happy in any way that feels right. But throughout Scripture, we see something entirely different. The God of the Bible is a perfectly holy God who, out of his great love, enters into a sinful world to rescue it. He loves us too much to let us stay in our sin, which leads to death, whether it makes us happy or not. Because of our sinful nature, we could never dare approach a holy God. But it doesn't end there. That is where the beauty of Christmas lies. God makes a way for us to be with him. And this is through Jesus entering humanity and dying for us, taking on all the sins of those who would trust in him. Jesus Christ humbles himself and comes to this earth that he created in order to save his people. He made himself nothing. And this passage from Philippians (coughs) talks about that. Philippians 2, 5 to 7 says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. (coughs) So he willingly chose to set aside his glory in order to come to earth and serve his own creation. That is true humility. So Christmas marks his entrance into the brokenness and pain of this world. And in order to receive him, we must acknowledge that each one of us is broken. Sin, because of the fall, has resulted in separation from God. And God promised, if you remember way back in Genesis, to send a rescuer, someone who would break the curse of sin. And Christmas is God breaking through and sending his son to be that rescuer. So Mary knew what good news this was when the angel approached her. She believed that this was the promised Messiah who would rescue her people. And Mary's song, which we looked at on Sunday, and we'll look a little more at it today, is a beautiful response to Christ entering her life. In this song that Mary sings of praise, Mary recognizes that she is blessed, not because of herself, but because of Christ. She's giving God glory for what he is doing through her. And so let's read her song together. Um, Luke 1, just a few verses down, Luke 1:46 to 55, and I'll read it. You can listen or read along. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now all on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name So I just wanted to share a few things that we can learn from her response to Christ. First, she recognizes her humble estate. So she knows that she's nothing, that she has nothing to offer, and that she recognizes she's blessed only because of God choosing her. So how can we respond in humility? One way is that we can recognize that we identify with those who are lost in the book of Luke. We are the sick, the poor, and the needy. We are those who he came to save. Christ gave up everything, his perfect home with God, his glory, his reputation, and his comfort. He gave up everything and emptied himself so that we may gain everything. He gave up his life so that we can have life and have it abundantly. But sin can be blinding. Sin will tell us that we're good, that we don't need saving, and not that bad. So we must ask ourselves, do I recognize my own need for him? Humility is confessing to God our utter weakness and depravity without him. And this doesn't only apply to the moment we become a Christian, when we say the prayer, um, when we confess that we're a sinner. In fact, the more I come to know God, the more aware I am of how much I need him. And children show us a tangible way of what this neediness looks like. Whether you have your own kids or you've ever been around kids, you know that they are truly needy and vulnerable. After school, when my four-year-old comes home, she trudges up the driveway. She's got her snowsuit, her boots, her hat, just laden down with so many things, her big, heavy backpack. I don't know what they put in those things, but they weigh a lot. And she just collapses when she walks in the door. She can't move. And she says, mommy, help me I need you and she's recognizing her own weakness and she knows she needs help and Jesus says we must be like a child to enter the kingdom of God we must come in weakness and dependence and recognize that we need him and on a more personal note I've experienced this in my own walk of faith Uh, growing up in a Christian family I'm so thankful that I knew the love of God from a young age I understood that I was loved and accepted by him Of course, I learned about sin, and I knew what it was, generally, but I always thought of myself as a pretty good person. I did the right thing for the most part, and deep down I think I believe that's why God accepted me, because of what I did and how I acted. And later on, I went through a season of my life where I wandered from God and chose to live my life completely for myself without any regard to him. And by God's grace, he convicted me of the sin in my life, and he rescued me from that path I'd chosen to go down. But it was only when I recognized the depth of my own sin that I was able to receive his offer of forgiveness. Only when we're broken by our sin do we understand that we need rescuing. It's like going to a doctor. You only go when you know you're sick and you need help. If you think you're healthy, you're not gonna go. There was nothing I could do on my own to cover the shame I felt. I finally realized how much I needed the Lord to take my sin and shame from me and that I couldn't cover it on my own. Our status with God has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. Just like Mary, we are blessed by the saving grace of our Lord, not by our own Mary. So Mary recognizes her humble estate, her neediness and unworthiness apart from God. So that was the first thing that kind of stood out to me in her song. And the second thing that I uh, noticed was that she responds in faith. So she says... Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's not in her song. That's in the previous passage. Um, So she's responding in faith. She doesn't doubt God's word to her, no matter how impossible it may seem. The (coughs) angel tells her nothing will be impossible with God, and she believes this. She believes that this child is a fulfillment to the promise God made to his people all of those years before. And I don't know about you, but I often respond in fear or doubt and not in faith. Mary was a teenager and pregnant outside of wedlock. And this is a big reason to be afraid in those days. She could have been divorced and abandoned by Joseph, rejected by her family and community. But she trusted and believed the angel's message. Do not be afraid, you have found favor with God. The Lord is with you, nothing is impossible with God. And these are words of comfort and words of promise. These are words for those who put their trust in the Lord. So take these words to heart this Christmas. For what situation or fear in your life is the Lord speaking these words to you? Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God through Jesus. The Lord is with you. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary had confidence that the promise that God made to Abraham, that through his seed the whole earth would be blessed, was true. God was fulfilling his promise to rescue his people. So I read this quote about God keeping his promises in an Advent reading. Um, it's by Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I thought it was helpful, so I'm just going to read it. Uh, what God did when he sent his son into the world is an absolute guarantee that he will do everything he has ever promised to do. Look at it in a personal sense. Romans 8:28, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That is a promise. But how can I know that's true for me, you might ask? The answer is the incarnation. God has given the final proof that all of his promises are sure, that he is faithful to everything he has ever said. So that promise is sure for you. Whatever your state or condition may be, whatever may happen to you, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and he will not. (coughs) He has said so, and we have absolute proof that he fulfills his promises. does not always do it immediately in the way we think is best no but he does it and he will never fail to do it so mary responds in faith to what god was doing in her life and what an amazing example that is to us so mary responds in humility she responds in faith and lastly mary responds in praise she says my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior she recognized what god is doing through her life and cannot help but praise him When Mary receives this news from the angel, God doesn't leave her to dwell on this alone. He sends her to Elizabeth, where this news is confirmed. God chooses to work in community. He doesn't give us revelation and leave us to ourselves. So let us share with each other what God has done in our lives. Let us encourage each other. This can happen in a setting like this, with your families, or just one-on-one with a friend. Let's consider how we might encourage one another with what God is doing in our lives. So how do we respond to Christ's birth? From Mary, we have seen that she responds with humility. She recognized her own need for him. Faith, she believes his promises. He will do what he says he will. And praise, privately, in your own heart and in community. So share and encourage those around you about what the Lord has done in your life. And this is how we can build each other up in love. So I'll just pray. Lord, thank you for the example of Mary and her response that we can learn from. I pray you'd give us humility and help us see our need for you. Give us faith and help us know that you have always been faithful and always will be. I pray that this Christmas would be a time that we would praise you for what you have done in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.